0: Have you ever wanted a t-shirt featuring Bob Roll riding an ostrich? I mean, who hasn't? To celebrate the 2019 edition of the tour, Road ID has re-released their Bob Roll-inspired Let's Ride t-shirt that was a cult favorite when it was initially released back in 2012. These classy little gems are only available in very limited quantities. So if you're an admirer of Bob or ostriches, You better hurry up over to roadid.com slash B-O-B before they're gone.
1: Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher coach Bobby Julek and outskirts visionary Gus Morton invite you to put your socks on. Winning and losing, training and racing, pro, not pro. All of it comes down to understanding what works and what doesn't. From insightful analysis
2: into our sport's most iconic races and racers to entertaining, educational, and actionable advice, Fizzo is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of bike racing. Be prepared to put your socks on.
0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Put Your Socks On. I'm Bobby Julik, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Gus Morton. Today we're talking about stage 16 of the 2019 Tour de France, a very unique stage from Nîmes to Nîmes, 177 <laughs> kilometers. And I say unique because very rarely do you see a start and a finish in the same town. This has me thinking that old Nîmes pulled out the big, the big checkbook This year, what do you think, Gus? How you doing, buddy?
2: (laughs) Bobby, that delivery just then just cracked me. (laughs) That I reckon (laughs) I didn't realize you had such a sense of humor, mate. It was uh, it was it was uh, it was a it was a long hot day out there for these guys, but it was good. It was exciting. It was a beautiful stage and uh, a great way to kick things off after the rest day. It was uh, it was a long rest day. I didn't really know what to do with my afternoon. Yeah, man. To be honest,
0: I, I, I missed you guys yesterday got me thinking about what the heck i'm going to do with my life on july 29th you know like that that post tour letdown how we're going to deal with that this year
2: definitely i feel like we've uh, we've definitely done our own tour de france in a way and uh yeah for me life 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 after the july 29th who knows what it's going to hold but uh let's just let's enjoy, enjoy the week these as as last it is. 5 days before we start Absolutely. being negative nancy right like <laughs> And what a cracker five days we have to come. I want to say thank you before we continue uh, to the, the fans, you guys, have the ones who have been there since day one, the new listeners that we've been getting every day. It's been amazing. Keep getting in touch with us. You can reach us at superfan at valenews.com, Bobby on Instagram at bobby.jewelric. You can get myself, Gus, at that is Gus. Tell us what you want to hear in these last five days. And, uh, and we really appreciate the support. Bobby, it's time for our daily dose of Road ID to a Trivia.
0: Okay, here we go. It's time for today's daily dose of Road ID tour trivia. To play, head on over to roadid.com slash TDF. Today's question. In 1986, three out of the top four finishers were on the same team. Who was the odd man out? Man, I remember this. This was cycling (laughs) for me. That was my favorite team, favorite jersey, and Three of my favorite riders of all time, that's for sure.
2: Bobby, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I've only gotten about three of these questions correct over the uh, over the entire course of, of this Tour de France. And this is also a question that I wouldn't be able to answer. So there you go.
0: Yeah, off the top of my head, I can name the three guys that were in the top four. That's simple because that's like etched in my memory forever. But mm-hmm. I did have to go back and look at... Um, who was the odd man out? So go to oh, road ID go. slash TDF to answer this question and score a chance to win today's daily prize, which is a tax bike trainer. What? You know, with these trainers nowadays, with all that smart function, I wonder if this is a, one of the smart trainers, you know, that you can hook up to Zwift and all those other platforms to, to ride with your friends all around the world. Hopefully
2: it is. Mate, mate, with the trainers nowadays, you could be at home riding the Tour de France kilometer for kilometer with the pros. (laughs) Could you imagine that riding the entire tour on a trainer?
0: (laughs) I ride Zwift quite a bit, especially over the winter and man, oh man, it was so cool. I'm sitting there riding and I see Mark Cavendish and I actually kind of instant messaged him and we had this conversation going back and forth. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. All the big boys, all the pros are actually using it. So yeah, they are one lucky winner will even take home a $10,000 BMC shopping spree. What? Again, that's roadid.com slash tdf.
2: Neem to Neem, 177 kilometers. As you said, it was a uh, a unique stage, and it was a good stage. How about we hear about the the start? That It was hot on the start line. We were delayed a little bit, and first day back after a rest day.
0: Yeah, let's let's face it. Not that much happened today. It wasn't one of those super exciting stages but for the riders i'm sure they appreciated it it was definitely hot no doubt about it all they could all you could see on the on the broadcast today were guys going back for those ice socks and trying to stay as as cool as possible yeah it started off a little slightly delayed because of a couple punctures before kilometer zero i i thought that that was always pretty cool that if you had a, a puncture right before kilometer zero, that the director of the Tour de France would actually hold up the whole race for you. That happened today a little bit. And then, yeah, five riders very reluctantly. And I say reluctantly because, you know, everyone has to go up there and kind of show that they're going to try to be in the breakaway. But then when a, a group like that of five formed, I saw a couple guys look behind and was like, oh, really? Is that it? Just five <laughs> of us? But again, Rosetto from Cofidis, again in the breakaway. It's amazing how many kilometers we should add it up of how much time this 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 uh, kid from Cofidis has been off the front this year.
2: Man, he is like every every day. I feel like that we're like it would suck to be in the break. Like it would be a long old day in there. He's in it, Yep. and just drilling it. Always the last guy on the attack. Always fired up right at the finish. Good. It's good to see. It's kind of I like that. I like seeing. I like this guy, and uh, it's good to see him in the tour. And hopefully, you know, he's had a bit of a breakout tour of a breakout ride so hopefully we'll be able to to come back again and keep us entertained on these uh these slightly less entertaining stages
0: yeah yeah but 5k into that group getting away you knew that it was going to be a field sprint because jumbo visma immediately jumped on the front kept him on the tightest leash i've ever seen on a such a long stage in the heat i thought they'd give him five six minutes and then bring him back at the end but no team was taking any chances. At least Jumbo Visma was not taking any chances today. And can you imagine the mentality of the five guys in the breakaway thinking, okay, you know, we're going to get five or six minutes and then maybe we have a chance. But man, when they're, I think their maximum gap was like one and a half minutes. That's got to, that's got to irk you a little bit, right? You got to maybe adjust your tactics, but it's almost not fair. Like give these guys a chance. One, 130, you're not giving them a chance at all. But on days like this, are often quite dangerous because you get kind of lulled to sleep. I think everyone's tired, and in that sort of heat, you're kind of off a little bit, constantly thinking about hydration and fueling. And yeah, we saw some crashes today. I mean, we can go down the list, but let's start with with Garrett Thomas crashing with 130K to go. He went down pretty darn hard.
2: He did go down hard. I saw the foot- the, the footage of that crash and the replay from the side of the road. And I think you're exactly right. Like We've, we've spoken about this earlier on the tour. And on these long kind of, you know, like preliminary days or stages, it's, it's easy just to kind of go to sleep and you're tired already, you know, particularly this late in the race. And we saw, you know, he went down, he said it was nothing, he said he was fine, but like, man, it looked, it looked hard, it looked bad. And then we saw again later in the race, uh, towards the end there, the, the abandonment of one of the guys in the top 10, Jakob Fulsang, who prior to this race was, was you know, one of the hottest favorites to win.
0: He was my pick to win. I
2: picked him to win. (laughs) Uh, I
0: mean, what a terrible start to the Tour de France. And then today, man, you saw it right away. He clicked off his helmet and pointing at his, I believe it was his left wrist. And you just got a feel for the guy because he's had such a dream season. And then in the Tour de France, where where you have such high expectations to have that crash on day one and then today. But going back a little bit to the Garrett crash, I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I know that Garrett Thomas is one of the strongest dudes in the Peloton, mentally and physically. But when I look at the video of how hard he hit, I'm sorry, there's going to be some repercussions from that. And this has always been G's problem. And up until last year, and even when he was in the yellow jersey, I kept thinking, okay, you know, G has this this habit of crashing or having a bad day, and he just rode the perfect Tour de France and this year is this his third crash already
2: yeah i believe it's his third he had that crash on the uh first stage and then at the end there and then he had another crash before the mountains began
0: yeah crashes are part of the sport but man you just hate seeing them take guys out of the race um so yeah let's let's kind of get back to the race there wasn't that much going on besides these basically two team time trials five guys in the front and then the peloton behind them so Lars back ex-teammate of mine he took both the sprint at 65k and then the kom at 96 and he before the stage mentioned that this is going to be his last tour de france so i wonder if the guys in the group were like you know what this is your last tour de france let's give you a little gift here because normally they they share those right one guy will win the yeah. sprint the other guy will win the kom but i think that's just the sort of respect that lars Bach has He's been in the peloton a long, long time. Like I said, he was a teammate of mine, so that tells you how long ago it was. And I just thought that was a pretty cool gesture by the other guys in the breakaway.
2: Yeah, and then coming down to the finish, the, the, the break didn't get, as you said, much of a leash. They almost got caught there with about 30k to go. But yet we saw, we saw them out, you know, three less than three kilometers to go, and they were still in front of the group fighting, you know fighting to get caught. So it was sort of a funny little finish in that regard, wasn't it? In the sense that uh, they gave him nothing, but then they couldn't couldn't reel him in for a while.
0: I think it was very intelligent when you think about it. Like, it's not normally the breakaway making the effort. It's the peloton allowing that breakaway a certain gap. And they could have just thrown in the towel and said, hey, man, you guys only gave us a minute and a half, we're done. But they just started riding easier. And the closer they got to the finish, they were just waiting for... The, the hammer to drop in the peloton and to, to close that gap and once they mm. did then they hit the nose and man that got very a, a little too close for comfort in my opinion I mean you had Casper Asgreen <laughs> yeah. who 22 year old Danish kid just I mean like we said before he's been on the front 60% of this tour de France in the you know pulling the field around yeah and he, even he needs a break you know so you know, Jumbo Visma got up there and, and eventually closed it. And then it was a little to me, it just looked a little scrappy. You know, you had those roundabouts coming into town. It didn't seem like anyone was super organized. There was teams up there yeah. that aren't normally up there that were trying to give their sprinter something. And it just looked like a washing machine and no one really knew where they were. And, you know, coming into the to the final sprint, you see Quick Step have their perfect lead-out set up again. And then from the back, I don't know, eight, nine, ten guys back. Caleb Ewan decides to pull out his driver and go long. Oh, didn't he? When the other guys were like Viviani were sitting there waiting to use their pitching iron, pitching wedge. And man, that was <laughs> that was one of the most impressive sprints I've seen from such a little guy. But he had such good momentum. He's so aerodynamic. He's obviously very, very powerful. But he he made that look pretty easy i'd love to see how fast he was going compared to those guys in the front because he had such a run at them and he didn't have a lead out
2: yeah it looked like uh he was the only one who brought his um his like 100 race game today we've seen some all the sprints have been really close we've seen a number of different winners and today as you said it looks scrappy coming down that finish line it was almost like We, you know, we kind of got to the finish and everyone was like, oh shit, we're back racing and we've got to do the sprint now. And they were kind of all over the place. And, you know, I guess that happens when you're this deep into the Tour de France, but remarkable win by you in there. It was fantastic.
0: And he is now stage 16. It took till stage 16 to get this. He's the first sprinter to win multiple stages. We've had, we've had, um, Alaphilippe win multiple stages. We've had, uh, Simon Yates win multiple stages and now we have Caleb Ewan. I, I'm surprised that it took this long, honestly, because normally you get one sprinter that's just on it, and he just hoovers up all the wins and just hogs them all. But this year has been... The parity between those sprinters has been so good, and those sprints have come down to many, many photo finishes. Today was the first time in a while that we haven't really seen a photo finish uh, needed mm. at the end. I, I'm, I'm curious if Caleb Ewan... Is now going to try to suffer through these next three days and get to Paris. I sure hope he does, but man, his first Tour de France—he comes away with with two stage wins. That's fantastic. Good on you, Caleb. Yeah,
2: and I, and I, yeah, I don't think he's ever made it to the end of a Grand Tour. I think he's he's abandoned. So I, I, I hope you. I'm surely he'll go to the finish. There's a mega stage on for the end. And, I think that he's the he's the sprinter that's holding his form the best.
0: He's got his work cut out for him. These these three stages um Thursday, Friday, Saturday are going to be brutal, but he got through the Pyrenees okay cuz when you win a stage after the rest day, you did something right during those stages.
2: Bobby, we got the superfan here. Let's uh let's feel the let's feel the question. Next up, it's Superfan.
0: Hey guys, how's it going today? Pretty good stage. Caleb Ewan, nice kick there at the finish. I got to tell you though, I really like watching Casper Asgreen on the front. I could just watch that dude all day making people hurt. Bobby, you've mentioned what an influence your father's early coaching had on you. I read somewhere
2: Thibaut Pino is coached by his older brother. I was wondering what it's like to be coached by a person who is so familiar with you and who you share such a strong bond with. And for Gus, I was wondering if your brother might have offered his coaching services as you made your way back to the pro level, or did you coach him as a junior? Uh, Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Oh boy.
0: Yeah. I think with every rider coach relationship, there almost has to be that brother bond or that father son bond. I mean, this is one of the most important people person in your life and you have to have that open and honest communication. If you don't, if you can't have that sort of honesty between yourself and your coach, you should find another coach because they're there for you to of course, prescribe workouts and then analyze your execution of those prescribed workouts. But coaching is more than just numbers. You have to get into these people's lives. You have to have time every day when that rider needs you to pick up the phone or answer a text or an email. So I think that's that has to be there, that, that almost father-son or, or brother-to-brother relationship.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. You do get like... In the zone, and when I came back to racing, Lockie did actually um, write my programs for most of the beginning of like that period, and then we both switched back to a to a coach that we'd we'd had for in the past for years. And um, and during that period, actually, I had some of my best results when Lockie was coaching me when I very first came back. Not that, not that that's necessarily an indication of. I think it was just because there was that excitement and and also you're just making that comeback for the first time. But it's a funny relationship because as you said it is intense and when you're when you're in that relationship like with someone when you're close to them it can test it i reckon it can kind of like put those under pressure like because you know you're both well you know one person's asking you to do get the most out of you as as they can and and follow this program and then the other person on the other side is trying to do as much as they possibly can to be good and often are exhausted and you know questioning everything and so yeah, I found that it, it could get uh it could test the relationship. And so that's why in the end we were like, yeah, we probably should go and get uh go and get a coach that's like separate otherwise we're going to have a meltdown. here. <laughs> Superfan. Let's talk today's theme. We've got a special guest sorry today um who we we got on at the last minute, Ian Boswell. And you know, we've seen um over the course of this tour some some big crashes, you know. I mean, today, as we spoke about Jakob saying abandoning after the crash, we saw Damaki with serious injuries, and now we've seen, you know, Rosetto again in the break today coming back after injuries, and after um, uh, the show earlier in the week where we were talking about positive mental attitude, we thought it would be interesting to hear from the writer's perspective on a similar sort of thing, like what it's like getting through an injury or a setback from the inside, I guess. Um, and so, before we get to to Ian, I just wanted to ask you, Bobby. Like, what's the process coming back from like an illness or or an injury versus coming back from like an inexplicable bad result? Right? You know, an injury. You know, you break a wrist or whatever. Um, how's that different to, say, for example, what Barde is going through, where he came to the tour hoping to win and he's gone absolutely shit house. Um, how? Well, comparatively um how would you what's the difference there the mental process
0: well i think with an injury there's always or v- almost always a time frame for the recovery of that set injury you know back in the day breaking your collarbone meant that you were 3 to 4 weeks out now it's even less i mean you're basically on back on your bike 2 or 3 days later so it always gave you like okay I may have to adjust my phase plan, but I don't have to basically rip it up and start over again. So that was, yeah. that was almost easier to come back from something like that because it was, you know, collarbones are a very common injury. A broken wrist is a little bit more difficult, a broken thumb, but then there's also those injuries that there is no time frame for concussions. It's a big part of our sport. And that's, got to be very challenging. And that's why I'm so glad that we have Ian on today. But when you're talking about missing your peak or inexplicable bad form, that's also extremely difficult. I wish there was when you got done with a race and you did great or you did poorly. I wish that a computer printout came out with all the bullet points of what you did right and wrong. But we're talking about human physiology here. There's so many variables that Man, when you don't perform, you have so many questions and there's never an easy answer. You just have to reset the dials, talk to your coach, talk to your family, and, and just start over. Pick yourself up. So I think the common denominator through any challenge or any coming back from injury or poor form or any sort of adversity has to be your support team around you has to be your family, has to be your wife, has to be your kids. And you know when you're younger and you don't have that, you're kind of grasping at straws. You're looking to see, hey, who, who's telling me what I want to hear? But there's nothing like your, your family or that support group that's been around you for years and years that can really tell you how it is. They can tell you straight to your face, <laughs> listen, you did this wrong. And this is how we're going to fix it. But often I see athletes jumping from rock to rock in these situations. They're so desperate. Like, oh, if I jump over here and this guy's telling me what I want to hear, he's going to help me. And then all of a sudden after a week or so, nope, that doesn't help. Jump to another rock. But the family and that support crew that's been around you for your career, that's your rock. Don't skip off that rock. It boils down to experience. I'm sorry, you're going to make these mistakes, especially when you're young. You're going to get sick, be off your bike, maybe in bed for three days, and the day later that you can finally ride your bike, you're out there doing sprints or VO2 capacity you know, stuff just to test yourself. And then what happens? You get sick again. Same with injury. So experience is a big thing. You have to make those mistakes and learn from them. But also having that, that, that good um, medical staff, or that good coach, that good relationship with the senior management that can give you that stability and that confidence to move forward.
2: That's exactly it, right? And um, let's, let's, let's hear from Ian Boswell now. Um, for the audience, Ian Boswell, American uh, World Tour Pro, riding for Katusha. Ian, how are you, mate?
1: Yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'll say okay. I'm not obviously racing the Tour this July. But um, no, I'm, uh, I guess, making the most of kind of the hand I've been dealt and enjoying summertime in Vermont.
2: Yeah, that's got to be tough seeing the tour and, and, and after everything you've been through, not being able to to be there. I think to start this conversation and to sort of update the listeners exactly, I guess, do you mind sort of describing like the, the accident and then the, the injuries you suffered as a result?
1: Yeah, so I had a crash. Um, I heard you allude to it earlier. I had a crash back in uh, middle of March at Terreno-Adriatico and I'm still unclear as exactly what what happened we we're on a descent and from like video footage there was a crash ahead I think Tony Martin went down um, and I don't know if there was like some sort of kind of yoyo effect peloton, but I wound up crashing over my handlebars and landing on the back of my head and um, was unconscious for a period of time and um, yeah it wasn't it's not my first concussion as probably most pro cyclists have uh, have had before at least I had a helmet on, I'm sure when Bobby Julek started racing, they didn't have helmets. But uh, Yeah, so I <laughs> you know, I wanted to get back on my bike, but the director had come and clearly saw that I was concussed because I was unconscious. And so I was loaded into an ambulance and taken to the hospital overnight for observation and went back to Nice the day after. And from there it was like, you know, it seemed like you know, obviously it was a serious crash, but nothing was broken. There was no real kind of instant knowledge of what kind of the recovery process would be. So I you know assumed I would take a couple of days off the bike and start training again and yeah so I tried to start riding way too soon and it was pretty quickly apparent that I wasn't okay so after a couple of weeks and seeing some specialists in, in Nice and Monaco I um, the team and I decided to come back to the U.S. so I came back to the U.S. in the beginning of April and um got connected with some folks down at Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center which is just down the road from us here in Peachum and um kind of been you know improving weekly and daily since then but it's still very much you know kind of a day by day you know kind of where I'm at as far as what I'm able to do and I've been riding a fair bit Um, I just notice as I increase my intensity or my volume that a lot of the symptoms of headache and dizziness a lot of like balance issues start to come back so I'm working with some vestibular specialists down there just to try and return to 100% which is taking a lot longer than I had anticipated, you know, as a cyclist, as Bobby was saying earlier, you know, when you're injured, you like oftentimes think one or two days, like that's a big setback. And so I kept setting deadlines for myself when I was going to return and those deadlines, just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And I'm kind of at a point now where I've kind of come to terms with, I guess where I'm at and just trying to really focus on getting better and getting back to, to racing rather than setting, you know, dates in my mind.
2: And you said earlier, you know, you had no broken bones, you fell, you tried to get back on your bike afterwards, you know, and, uh, and, you know, you're seemingly uh, fine to to continue training, right? And then you get back on the bike and and obviously things aren't right. Can you kind of, what was the, like one, what was the kind of official diagnosis, I guess? And then as an extension of that, how have you been, how was your approach and, and I guess the professional's approach on to recover from something like this? You know, is it, yeah, can you kind of just talk about that?
1: Yeah, I guess concussion is kind of a, it's almost like an invisible injury because I don't really, you know, I don't have a cast. I'm not, you know, laid up in bed, which is difficult for, for myself and I guess for a lot of other people to see because I'm still, you know, able to move around and I, I see you have something on your wrist. I'm not sure what happened, but it's very clear that you're injured. <laughs> and I, mean, no I, I got a missing tooth
2: as well. <laughs> um, and you're,
1: uh, probably, you're concussed. probably concussed.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, it would makes no difference to me. me. <laughs>
1: you have know, had concussions before and i've been unconscious before and for whatever reason this one was different and you know i could hit my head again and it could be different than this one it's just it's very there's not a lot of information known about it um so i'm yeah it's just been kind of a process of trying to put myself around people who know a lot about you know the recovery process and and my team katusha has been really fantastic as far as the support they've given me and you know allowed me to come home and you know they're not you know they're kind of put it in the doctor's hands both the team doctors and the doctors I'm seeing at Dartmouth to kind of you know analyze me and kind of decide when I'm ready to return to play as they would say but I guess within the world of cycling there's not a ton of pre-concussion testing done you know so like in most major American sports even at the high school level you do like a you know a concussion protocol test before the season and then if you get a concussion you can kind of see where you're at as far as timeline and Unfortunately, that's something we haven't established yet in the world of professional cycling.
0: Huh, I find I find that interesting because when I was involved with George Hincapie's team, Hollowaysco Citadel team, which was a a Pro Continental team, our doctor actually ran us through, and I actually took that baseline concussion protocol test. I thought that was basically all across the board. You're saying that in the professional in the World Tour, there They're not making that mandatory.
1: Yeah, you're you're right, Bobby. It's not it's not mandatory from the UCI. You know, there is a preseason medical check that riders have to pass, kind of your heart function and your EKG and a stress test. But there's no preseason kind of response to to head injuries, and it's a very difficult thing to kind of. I mean, those tests do give you a glimpse into what your recovery process is and kind of how you're how you're recovering and you know, can tell pretty definitively if someone's had a concussion or not. But it's not something that's universal within the UCI. And I think that that was the reason why I came back to the U.S. I guess the emphasis on heading is a bit more progressive here than, than it was in Europe because a lot of the specialists I saw in Europe, you know, were very much of the kind of the mindset of like, oh, you need to stay inside and wear sunglasses and, you know, don't do anything, which is, I guess, speaking to a lot of the specialists here, it's a very kind of old school approach to concussion. Um, it's like you're know, looking at if you have a knee surgery, then you know you try to get get that knee moving as quick as you can, and it's very similar with the brain. So I kind of spent wasted a lot of time in my early recovery phase while I was in Europe, not really being proactive as far as the therapy, just to get my my vision and balance back sooner than than I have.
2: What does recovery look like? What is you know what has your kind of recovery protocol been like?
1: So it's I mean it started off very you know I took I think over two months off the bike completely because I you know, I just wasn't able to, to function in any sort of effort while a lot of the symptoms, I you know, I I guess a couple of times I tried to get back on the bike and ride on the trainer. um, But pretty quickly my symptoms would come back. So with the specialist down at Dartmouth, I started doing a lot of like visual therapy. So that was a lot of stuff, you know, first just balancing or walking and, you know, stimulating your vision and balance while, while moving. And as that's progressed, you know, it's moved up to I wouldn't say playing games, but yeah, kind of little games while riding riding the trainer. So something like you know looking down at a screen, doing something. Having my wife, you know, set up little numbers and colored templates on the wall, and then call out a color or a number, and I have to find it with my eyes, and then go back to my phone. And so just that the difference in distance of vision while exercising, because it's oftentimes the issues I face are brought on more by exercise. And like I said, with increased intensity and fatigue and volume. Um, I'm still not there yet.
2: Man, that sounds like difficult and re- but I think like what you're like, I'd never heard of any of this and I'd always wondered this. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of our listeners will be intrigued by this because it is, it is something that um, a lot of people in the dark are in the dark about. And as Bobby just said too, we all assume that, you know, protocols and measures are being taken by the top of, um, of the sport to be proactive about these sort of, you know, serious issues. And, it's not happening. So, mate, I really appreciate um really appreciate you sharing this with us. You you said that you're kind of getting out and you've been consistently riding more and more and um and you're still you're progressing forward. What's you know, what are you are you hoping to to kind of get there by the beginning of next year or maybe see a couple of days racing at the end of this year, or how's that sort of outlook?
1: Yeah, well, to be completely frank with you, Gus, it's been very much a roller coaster. You know, there are days mm-hmm. when I you know, I go out and I do like a pretty decent ride and I, you know, push myself up some hills and I, you know, come back and I'm ecstatic. I'm like, all right, sweet. Like I'm, you know, let's, I want to go back to Europe and get to racing. And, you know, there's some races up in Canada that aren't too far from my house that are, you know, essentially kind of like a hometown race. Now, like I said, I'll be super stoked. And then the next day I'll go out and, you know, kind of get too motivated and try to do too much the next day. And then everything kind of comes crashing down. It's like, wow, I'm not, I'm not okay. I, uh, yeah, I went mountain biking with, Tim Johnson and Stephen Heidel, they invited me to go mountain biking last week. I was like, oh, cool. Like this will be, this will be a good little test. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously riding mountain bikes is much more intense than riding on the road. Um, there's just yeah. so much more cool stimulation. And after 20 minutes of riding, I told the guys to go ahead. I had to go back to my car because I just couldn't manage like the balance and the concentration needed to, to ride mountain bikes. Like I said, I haven't really put a timeline on anything. You know, from what I've heard from the specialists and doctors is that, you know, in time, as long as I continue with my therapy, things should, you know, return to, you know, hopefully 100% and mm-hmm. as well, like within, you know, if you're training or trying to you know, hit your target race weight, you know, getting to 95% is pretty easy. It's always those last 5% that are the hardest and take the longest.
2: Is there a, is there a silver lining to this at all? Have you been able to kind of like take something from it?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's been a lot. I mean, there's just been a huge gain in perspective of how fortunate I have been to have raced for you know as long as I have, and to still be able to ride my bike. You know, cyclists mm-hmm. always say, "Oh, it could have been worse," and it could have. Um, but I guess it just really made me appreciate how much I love riding a bicycle. And once I was able to actually ride outside again, even you know my first ride was 30 minutes on a fat bike. You know, just going super slow yeah. and. Aggies um because my fat bike's much more stable than a road bike it just brought me such joy to to be out riding again so it's almost it's to a degree it's really made me appreciate how much you know fortune we have in having this awesome invention that's the bicycle and just sharing with friends you know because I'm not necessarily able to train as far as efforts and stuff um just to be able to get out and ride with people and like not feel feel how like you know fortunate i am to go out and ride bikes and not feel stressed to like push the lap button on my wahoo and you know you know just enjoy the simple bits of riding the bike
2: yeah it's stories like yours that make us all appreciate um that that more as well i want to talk about um bobby unless you have any more questions i wanted to move on to i read an article that you wrote this morning about about the final week of the tour and i wanted to ask you about that bobby do you have anything first
0: First and foremost, Ian, I've known you since you came in over to Europe as a pro, and I share the same passion that you have for the bike. I mean, we all do. Everyone listening does. But for me, what would make me happy is for you to actually see past the bike, because the bike isn't everything, and and get healthy and be happy to, you know, go on to you know, either back to racing your bike or onto something else. Cause you're a very intelligent person. Uh, Gus just mentioned that article that you wrote, uh, recently was, was fantastic. And I just, I just hope and pray for you to come back to, to, to where you want to be. I know it's going to be difficult, but you know, there's more to, to life than, than riding a bike.
1: Yeah. Thanks Bobby. Yeah. And no, that's definitely been something that um, as a, as a rider, you're just living in such this bubble and you put so much pressure on yourself to always perform. And that's why, you know, to a degree, I probably have prolonged my recovery by trying to get back multiple times too soon. Um, and just to see that, yeah, your life is very long and there's a lot of fortune to, to be had and, you know, friendships and relationships along the way that, you know, come from the bike, but also that, you know, come from off the bike as well.
2: That's exactly right. Isn't it? You know, in the end, uh, you got to be happy and there's a big wide world out there that we all get to to experience. On to La Tour. Um, I want to kind of hear what your your thoughts are over the, the, the final week of the tour as someone who's, you know, ridden it as recently as last year. How do you see Philippe performing and, and who do you see as the real threats coming over the next few days?
1: Yeah, well, as I wrote in that blog, um, Alaphilippe's obviously riding on fantastic form. I don't believe he's going to win the race. I don't know what your opinions are on that. Um, I just see, you know, the tour is long and he's been, he's, I guess, kind of burning the candle at both ends. And in the article, I kind of alluded to the preparation that goes into winning the tour, not just, you know, the training, but kind of the team's role around a rider. And that's something that I think Quickstep did not anticipate and didn't prepare for. And I think the teams that have prepared for that will, really kind of come to the fore in the final week. And I think, you know, Thibaut Pinot could, I'm my my money's still on Garren Thomas, just with the experience of the team and himself. But I would say Thibaut Pinot is going to give Team Ineos a run for their money in the final week because he has been flying and he has a good team around him. And that has been, you know, the team's goal and his goals have been the Tour de France all year. And that's something that yeah. clearly hasn't been, you know, Alaphilippe's been, you know, winning races left, right and center since January.
0: So, give us your top three in Paris.
1: Oh, I'm thinking Thomas, Pinot, and Landa. I think Landa's Ooh. gonna.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm going Pinot, Thomas, Landa. Was my top three. I think Pinot's gonna roll him.
1: Yeah, and I guess you know I, it's hard to count out Bernal because he is climbing well. Mm. And there's no more time trials left, and they do hit you know high altitudes quite a few times in this last few stages, which is definitely going to be a factor for riders who haven't prepared for that. And, you know, cause Bobby's a, Bobby's a coach. He knows all about this, but the, (laughs) a lot of those altitude camps that riders have done a lot of that, you know, kind of the benefit of that has, has worn off, but the riders who, you know, have spent long periods at altitude and were born there um, it'll definitely favor those riders.
2: What about you, Bobby? Who's your top three? Dang it.
0: I was hoping that you wouldn't (laughs) call me out. I I was trying to slip one under the carpet there. (laughs) oh man Um, I am so bad at this obviously yes Pinot is is the hot hand I just have a problem believing that once he does get into the yellow jersey that Mm. he won't um, he won't crumble if he takes the yellow jersey on Saturday that's a totally different thing and that's maybe what what their tactic is I, I definitely say Right now, looking at the stages and how explosive he is on the climbs, but that's another guy that's expended a lot of energy since the beginning of the tour. And is his team that good? That's, that's my question. So for me and, and I'm glad that you mentioned it, um, Ian I'm still scared of Michael Landa, because when you look at the, what people can do in the third week of the tour, there's a lot of question marks. But Landa. In the third week of every Grand Tour he does, it's just like he hits another gear. It's like he's not tired. I mean, obviously everyone's tired, but he's just able to sustain that a little bit longer. But the top 10 is up for grabs. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go totally off script here. I, oh, think, yeah. I think that it's going to get so technical, and there's going to be one of those days that just flips everything on its, on its ear. I'm actually looking at the young 26-year-old German rider who has my birthday, November 18th, Emmanuel Buchmann. I think that he's going to sneak in there and profit from all these tactics that are going back and forth through the other teams. So I think it'll be Boekman, then Pino, and then um Or
2: not. Bachman has been riding really well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, one person that none of us mentioned was Steven Kruiswick, who's another, I mean, he is a really consistent and, like, methodical rider in his approach. And, I mean, I don't see him winning, but I could see him on the podium. It's like there's, I mean, that's why the tour is so exciting this year is because there are so many riders who are capable of actually, you know, realistically being on the podium, which is in years past, it's kind of been the podium has been picked away from from Paris, and this year it really could come down to the Saturday.
2: Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really exciting few days, Ian, mate. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and to to hear your story. It's uh it's been yeah, it's been wonderful.
1: Awesome, thank you guys. Yeah, I actually have a uh, head off to a doctor's appointment now. So
2: no worries. Well, we don't want to keep you any longer. I understand you have a um, a grand fondo. Actually, I was reading in the uh, article you wrote. When is that?
1: So I'm allowed to plug that, yes, my wife and I <laughs> organize in uh, September 21st the Peach and Fall Fondo. You can check it out peachandfallfondo.com, and it's a it's a gra- 50 mile gravel r- ride here in Vermont. And this year we are benefiting the Love Your Brain Foundation, which is started by Kevin Pierce, the snowboarder who had a traumatic brain injury. And uh, I'm actually starting one of their yoga meditation retreats for people with TBIs starting on uh, tomorrow. So really, yeah.
2: Dude, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I'll, I'm uh, I'm interested to hear how what that's like and how that goes. Um, yeah, man, can't say enough. Thank you, thank you. It's been fantastic. Take care, Ian. All right, we'll see you guys. See you, mate. Man, that guy is uh is, is an inspiration. He's been through some shit this year, and uh, to hear him still have that positive outlook is is good. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people need to to listen to that, to follow along, and to uh, and to just take a bit of uh, advice from from that guy. Tomorrow's stage, we touched on uh, what we think is going to happen over the next few days. Let's talk about tomorrow. What's going to happen, Bobby? How's it going to play out?
0: Yeah, stage 17, Pont de Gare to Gap, 200 kilometers. We do have one Cat 4 and one Cat 3. It's another one of those kind of transition stages. I think there is going to be a breakaway that um, goes away early. But very often in the finishes in Gap, it's won by a solo move. So I don't I think the GC guys are gonna stay put, knowing that on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday it's 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 on. It's all to play mm-hmm. for. Um but don't forget, and this isn't the same descent, but there's always some exciting things that happen in Gap. And back in two thousand and three, this was the stage where Beloki had that crazy crash and and Lance uh, showed off his mountain bike skills. Uh, I I went on and made sure that it wasn't the same descent because it's supposed to be hot again. So these guys are going to be definitely, um, thinking about the hydration. But one of the things that caused that crash was just the road was melting. So hopefully these guys will have a safe trip down to gap and yeah, interesting enough. Uh, there's no gap store in gap what (laughs) do you guys do you guys have gap in australia we do i know how yeah gap so you think there'd be a gap store in gap i presume presume that's what it was named after (laughs) yeah Yeah, so turns out no interesting just just two two smaller uh categorized climbs but that last climb is only 8.5 kilometers from the finish so if there is i think that'll be a, a great springboard for the stage win but it also could be a a place where we could see some action from those guys that not only go uphill very well, but then also go downhill very well. As far as the yellow Jersey, I think that Al- Alaphilippe Philippe's going to keep that. The KOM Jersey, I think Wellens should take the day off tomorrow, not jump into that break and just go for those little tiny points. He has, he has a lot of points on offer that he has to defend uh, in the three mountain stages in the Alps, mm. the green Jersey, you know, maybe with that sprint at 62 kilometers, Sagan, look for Sagan to get into the break, Uh, you know, 50 50. But knowing Sagan, he probably will try. But yeah, that the stage win is going to have to come from somebody, a strong guy uh, that also has good descending skills. And it's never too late, even though that Movistar has a 30 minute lead in Team GC. This could be one of those stages where potentially a group takes 15 or 20 minutes. So Teams are yeah. definitely starting to think more and more about this GC. Movistar having such a big lead, that kind of negates that a little bit, but you never know. This is where they could start chipping away at that, at that Team GC classification.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think everything could change over these next few days. Uh, my pick, I think you're right, um, my pick is Greg Van Avermaet for tomorrow. I reckon. See, I mean, and, and as you said, like I reckon it could a break could go to the line, and we could see, a Sagan, you know, of an abame, a few of those those type of riders, get in that, and then, and then uh, either hang on over the climb, or even or even make a move on the climb. What do you reckon? Well, we're in stage
0: sixteen or stage seventeen of the tour. Seventeen, yeah. And there's been seven teams that have won the first sixteen stages. Seven. There's 22 teams in the race. There's a lot of teams that need to do something. And tomorrow is probably their last chance. A team like mm. Astana, especially since today they they lost their leader, full song. Um, yep. The boss of Astana has won in GAP before back in 2003. Mm-hmm. So for me, I am gonna pick Ushchenko tomorrow. He's on Astana, he's riding well. He's been doing a lot of stuff, but obviously he can go uphill well and downhill well. So I think he'll infiltrate the break
2: and, and win. He's been a beast, but maybe he spent too many bickies. We'll see. Tomorrow will tell. Bobby, nice show. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure, as always. Thank you to our listeners, you guys, just keeping us going. And, uh, and more and more tuning in every day, which has been you know inspiring and exciting for us. You can subscribe to Put Your Socks On on iTunes, SoundCloud. You can check it out on velonews.com as you can also see all the other great Tour de France information and and articles and everything else. Um, If you want to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. Superfan at velonews.com or on social media media at bobby.jewelric and that is Gus or at that is Gus. Bobby.
0: Thanks, Gus. Thanks, Ian. Hope to see you back soon. Everyone, thanks for listening. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on. What?